The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what is going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 64. Four. Uh, at the end of the episode, we will have chapter 12 of Ain't No Messiah. I hope you guys have been enjoying that story. That is going to be the half at the end of chapter 12. That'll be the halfway point in the book. So another five and a half hours after today. Uh, another 12 episodes. But yeah, hopefully you guys are enjoying that. If you want to pick up the whole thing, listen to it all, you can get it on pretty much anywhere audiobooks are sold. Uh, I think I have it through ACX and Findaway. Um, so yeah, so that is out. I have not worked on book two yet. Well, I've worked on it a long time ago. I have about 40,000 words on it done, but it's going to be a little while before that is completed. Uh, with a little luck, I'd say probably next year. Um, but it'd be later in the year. So got a lot of stuff on my plate. Uh, what happened this weekend? This weekend was pretty cool. Uh, My wife took my two kids to uh, Arizona to see her parents, which meant I had absolutely zero responsibility. I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to clean. I didn't have to do a thing. uh, And I was so looking forward to it. All I was going to do is work. Um, If you've been listening to me, you probably heard me kind of struggling with uh, balancing the work writing. I think that's a constant thing with me. Um, you know, trying to find the right balance with the family and also fulfilling my creative side and wanting to be successful as an author and all that. So it's, it's often a struggle. Um, during these last two months, you know, I really been focusing on just trying to appreciate the days. Like, okay, maybe I'm not going to get any work done or I'm going to get very little work done, but I just had an incredible day. Hanging out with my son, having fun, playing Legos, playing music, uh, you know, fitting in some language stuff, doing different things. I was like, but that's, you know, if I have a good day and I would do that every day, then that's a fulfilling life. That's a happy life. Um, So that's been a good thing. And I know how good it is for him because who wouldn't want to spend all day with me, right? It's like a bonus. Um, No, but for the most part, uh, yeah, that's how it's been. So when I heard that they were going to take a little trip, I was like, okay, this is going to be nice. I'm going to have absolutely the entire day just to work, just to work, just to work. And so that's what I did. I still got in my morning and night workouts in the pool, just quick 15-minute little workouts, uh, maybe 20 minutes. Um, Didn't do a whole lot of other things. I did uh, guitar for a bit. I've been trying to get better at my electric guitar, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, But the main thing I was working on was uh, try not to die in the pandemic because John uh, Palisano gave it to me maybe a couple weeks ago, his uh, first uh, pass through it. I hadn't seen any of it. Well, I I saw, um, you know, and approved all the plot line. And so I knew what was happening in the story and and all that. I had a good feel for it. Uh, And then I was reading through it and it made me really think. I was like, okay, now how do I... Because uh, my initial concern was I wasn't going to do enough work on the book to even feel like I could call myself a co-author. That it was going to be too much of his, you know, and uh, there wasn't going to be much need for me. But I realized over the weekend, I was like, oh no, I can totally, now I can spend probably a solid month 
just making this, you know, put my touch on it too, you know, so I'm, I, all I did this weekend was think about that book. The other day I had it out in front of me, maybe 12 hours where I was just breaking it down. I'm editing the entire thing as if it were mine. Um, it's going to change a lot of the feel of his. His is probably a happier feel to it. Um, I'm going to make the shit dark because I realized like, no, this is anyone that went through, um, all these awesome, like he, he's plotted an awesome book. He's made a very fast and exciting book. Um, but for me, parts of it weren't believable because of just how lighthearted it was. I was like, anyone that goes through these circumstances, anyone that goes through these situations is going to be traumatized. Like you can't just have to take someone's life and not have it affect you and just walk away happy. Um, you know, you can't see all this crazy stuff and not have it seriously impact everything. Um, so this kid goes on this crazy adventure for like an hour, hour and a half of trying to escape these people. Meanwhile, this whole pandemic is going on where his parents are sick and other people are sick. So um, I wrote to John. I told him what I want to play up, and he thought that was perfect. I mean, that's what his goal is, to make the, the best book possible by both of us putting in our opinion. So I'll go through all of this. It'll probably only take me, let's say, a month. I, cause I already know what scenes I'm I'm changing. I know what I, I'm moving a lot of scenes around, like that death scene I'm going to put over here because there was one that was kind of similar at the start and, you know, moving stuff around like that. Um, so it's not a whole lot of work. And the other thing I had to do that I'm adding is I'm adding another character, which I think is very, very important for first person books. Uh, first person point of view, if you're the only character, they're, the only thing that's going to happen you, is just going to be all stuff going on in your head so it's this guy being afraid of pirates it's him thinking about pirates it's him wondering if anyone was coming it's him listening so it's all his thought patterns and for me that's boring um i would much rather have another character there and then you get their fears and there's dialogue going back and forth and that just makes it much more believable and that's i'd say that's my biggest thing with any kind of writing i do I want to make sure it's believable. I'd never want a, re a reader to say, oh, that would never happen. Like, oh, that's ridiculous. And just because for me, if I read that, I would put a book down. I'm like, no, like that's that's not what I want. Um, so, yeah, I want to make the series uh, believable. It's all about trying not to die. So it is about trying to escape death. It's a serious subject. It doesn't get any more serious than that. So, uh, yeah, so I'm making it darker. Um, and so I think the combination of us working together is going to be pretty awesome. And that is really pretty incredible for me to only have to spend maybe, you know, there I spent a little bit of time going back and forth with John with emails. Uh, but I didn't do any actual, like, creative stuff uh, on the book yet. But if I do four weeks to six weeks of creative stuff, uh, a couple more weeks of editing, then that's pretty incredible to have a novella out like that. So that book will be out this year. We're having the cover designed on that. And then what else do we have? Oh, and then I've also been, meanwhile, working with Steve Montgomery, going over his chapters. He just sent me scene three. Um, his is already pretty fully fleshed. Like, we've gone over everything. The, the awesome thing with Steve is we've gone over every chapter already, already approved all the different things that are happening. And so, um, yeah, and they're right there. And so now he's pretty much finished with like the first three chapters like officially we'll go over one last edit with them but everything is up to speed it's uh it's flying i really like his style he's been only reading my stuff he's been trying to apply my style to it 
Uh, that's kind of one of the nice things about someone that is not an author already because he's learning from me. He's trying to copy my style. So just it makes it much easier for me. And the cool thing is I'm able to show him uh, he's a very quick learner. So even when he's just going over my notes, he's noticing that, you know, when anytime that there's a big chunk of dialogue, I'm breaking it up with actions. You know, there might be a paragraph of dialogue. I'm like, no, it's, that's three different spots right there where we could increase the tension by putting... You know, show a character here, show something specific here. Uh, right here, the character should be doing something. Right here, there should be this. And uh, that's stuff you just develop, I think, by reading and, and just seeing it over and over. And I could look at a page and be like, okay, uh, automatically I know that could probably be broken up, that could be broken up, let's cut this. Um, and then, so he's seen a lot of that and then how I combine all the sentences and I just cut anything that doesn't need to be said, anything that's already conveyed through... Uh, dialogue or somewhere else it doesn't need to be reset so i'm definitely all about cutting down and i've told all my authors co-authors i'm like hey write as much as possible and then it's my job just to cut that stuff down uh, a lot so those two are really cool i think maybe with him with steve it'll probably take maybe another his goal i think is one month from now to be done with his pass uh because i'm going over it as he's given it to me uh, there won't be much turnaround before we're ready for the final pass. So that book should be done by August. And I signed the second contract with him, which is going to be uh, Try Not to Die. I believe it's going to be in Costa Rica. I think we decided that will probably be the coolest. Uh, he's a surfer. He's been there a bunch. I've been there a couple times. Uh, definitely a lot of cool locales, cool locations, to, uh, and a lot of different types of deaths that are available. So uh, that'll be a fun book. Uh, so he'll start on that later this year. Uh, also signed the contract for uh, The Wizard's Tower with Michael Sage Ricci. That's going to be his first book. It's like a D&D type version. And then uh, he's going to do a second book in the series as well. It will be connected to that. It'll be the same characters, a uh, different lead character. And that will be in The Wizard's Tower or no, in The City of Thieves. The first book is in The Wizard's Tower. The second one will be Try Not to Die in The City of Thieves. So that's cool. And then yesterday I also signed the contract with my nephew, Luke. Uh, he's only 16, but he's super driven. He, uh, and what's awesome is we're doing uh, the Second Civil War. I think I might have mentioned that. So it'll be trying not to die in the Second Civil War. And it'll really be tapping into everything that he sees and he's experiencing right now. Um, he's very much into the whole looking at what's going on with COVID, looking at conspiracy theories, looking at different things. Looking at how, um, how you know, it's, it's not far-fetched to think that a revolution could occur. Um, and so I was like, okay, think about all this bad stuff you see, and now let's just exaggerate it and say this, okay, three years from now, five years from now, this is what's going to happen. Um, and so we're going to show the second civil war uh, breaking out, and it's going to happen while he's at school. So I think that's going to be very powerful. I know it's going to be good for him. Um and uh, uh, one sec, hey Jake, come here. So I was telling them how much I was looking forward to uh, the time off, how much I it needed it, how much I enjoyed it, how much work I was able to do. But what I realized was probably within a day, definitely by the second day, that uh, it's not what I would want all the time for sure. And I wouldn't even want it very often. I would, uh, I missed you so much. I missed mommy too and Liv. But because we spend so much time together, we spend probably 17, 18, 18 hour days, um, I was definitely missing you. And I just realized that 
I think sometimes I get into my head how important it is to write and I just can't wait for the day where I could write all day and how great that will be and blah 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 but now what I'm realizing is uh, uh, my life would be meaningless without you guys and I'm incredibly happy to have you and to spend time with you and play with you uh, I still need to get my work done but I just want to make sure that you know that and that's just something for you guys that are home maybe frustrated because you're not getting as much work done as you want or whatever else um, yeah we only got this time with our kids once so let's enjoy it alright guys I'm gonna spend some time with him we got some zoom meetings to do some Xbox to play some rock band to do and all that good stuff uh, so I will leave you guys right now with chapter 12 of ain't no messiah hope you enjoy it later Chapter 12 We'd lived with Laura for close to a month, still two more to go before I turned 18. I was out back dripping sweat on the boulder between my feet, telling myself it wasn't that big. Everything hurt, especially my hand, but this was my last one. Everyone else was already inside for lunch, but I was used to it. If I took too long, someone would go back for seconds before I got my first, and I'd be stuck with peanut butter and jelly. Lining both sides of the driveway with boulders was Paul's idea, what he called a touch of class. It would have been easier if I could have used the wheelbarrow, but Ronnie said it was his. I bent down, wedged my hands between the boulder and dirt. My low back was a belt of bright pain, my palms stinging as an edge dug deep. I drove forward one step, then another, finally close enough to smell the sloppy Joe's, Brad's favorite. He was one of the ranch hand three years older than me, I could see him through the window, sitting in the seat I usually did, his shirt tight enough to show off his abs. I dropped the boulder with a thud and shoved it into place. Ronnie was in the kitchen, too, but I couldn't see him when he said, Shit was sick. You really got to see it. Brad said, That's what I heard. My palm had opened in a slow leak. I wiped it on my jeans and headed toward the back of the house. Ronnie said, yeah, they had a chain looped around this guy's neck. Then they let the car creep one inch at a time, tore his head right off, but it took a while. Paul sounded like a girl. Ew, that's sick. My favorite's the machete. I stomped the dirt from my boots and stepped inside. Ronnie was still going on all excited. Yeah, the knife was like this fucking long. Laura said, Ronnie, can I tell the damn story? I turned on the sink. The dirt and blood swirled down the drain. Looked like Dusty's mouth when I pushed him under. Laura set her empty plate on the counter, gave me a quick pat on the back before leaving the room. Paul was at the stove, all his attention on the table, his face back to normal. Louder than he'd already been talking, Ronnie said, So the knife was like this fucking long. Paul put a plate of tater tots and a sloppy joe at the table where Laura had been sitting. I thought it was meant for me, but when I went to sit down, he took the seat for himself and pointed at a stove. There's plenty if you want to help yourself. So these four ISIS fucks got this guy pinned down on the sand. Then this dude with the machete started going, thwack, 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 Ronnie said, bringing his forearm down on each beat. You could hear everything. Every sound he was making, he was gurgling and screaming. I took what was left of the food, which was never much. Paul was turning into quite the cook, so I didn't blame them, but it would have been nice to leave enough for the guy doing the hardest work. Jim's chair was the only one empty, but no one sat there, even with him out of town. I leaned back against the stove and took a bite of my sloppy joe. 
Brad asked Ronnie. You'll be around tonight? After work, Ronnie said. Bring a 12-pack. Brad got up from the table and gave Paul's arm a friendly shove. Good grub, Polly. Paul acted like it was no big deal, but his eyes gave it away. Glad you liked it. Brad washed off his plate at the sink and headed for the back door. Paul's eyes followed him. I took my spot without a word and finished off the sandwich. I was trying not to wonder about the picture I found when I was putting away our clothes. If it hadn't been so smooth and folded up so many times, I might have thought it was trash and thrown it away. But I made the mistake of opening it up and spreading it flat. It had four sets of washers and dryers, the prices and descriptions lined down the side. On the bottom was the word Target and a bunch of small print. Then I turned it over. Young men and boys standing around in their underwear, the blonde boy in the middle looking an awful lot like Brad, maybe a little younger and not as good looking. The back door closed and Paul took a bite, waited a few seconds before he said, Hey, Ronnie, would you care if I watch it with you guys? Ronnie finished his juice like it was God's honest truth. He said, I don't give a shit. I told Paul, you don't want to watch that stuff. Ronnie said, how do you know? I do. Ronnie crossed his arms and sat back, looked like he'd already won whatever we were going to talk about. You're all knowing? He's my brother. So you know everything he wants? I know watching that stuff isn't good for you. Ronnie was looking pretty smug. Why? It don't do you any good. It teaches about death. I gave up on him and turned to Paul. Some of those things you can't unsee. Ronnie said, you don't know everything. That's true. I would have let it go if it wasn't for his smile, but I bet it's a hell of a lot more than you. Ronnie sat up and grabbed the table. Oh, yeah? Paul kicked my foot. Don't. I pushed him away, kept my eyes right on Ronnie. Probably. Ronnie got to his feet. You sure as shit ain't no messiah. You got that? Not in this house. I looked at Paul, who was studying his plate. I never said I was. Trying to look all tough, Ronnie puffed out his chest. Well, you ain't, so stop fucking acting like it. From the other room, Laura said, Boys. I was tired of taking his shit and stood to show him I wasn't scared. Oh, what? You gonna threaten me in my own house? I kept my cool. I just asked a question. My house, I asked the questions. You think you can whip me? Laura stepped into the door. What's going on? I kept my eyes on Ronnie. I ain't scared of the devil. I ain't scared of you. Ronnie said, Fuck you, alter fag. Fuck you. Laura screamed, That's enough. Ronnie pointed at me. This asshole started it. No, I didn't. Laura pointed at my chair. Sit down, Joshua. But I said sit. Ronnie's grin got bigger when I obeyed. Good boy. Laura told him to go outside. Ronnie took off with a smile. Yeah, sure thing. You too, Polly, she said, her hand on his shoulder the same way she held mine. That was how she handled her nephews, a tiny touch to show she cared. The cut on my palm was still bleeding. A line of red stained the seat. Laura sat in her chair and took hold of my good hand. Please look at me. It took me a moment, but I did. I mainly saw Mother in her face, the same iron toughness that had been dinged up and tarnished. She said she was sorry for yelling, and I told her it was fine. You need to understand some things, she said. Jim's not a bad man, but he's doing me a favor by letting you stay here. Me? Paul's doing what he said, and then some. 
I'm a good worker, better than any of those guys. I know that, but it doesn't mean a thing if you can't back down to Ronnie. He's a jerk, but do you understand? I nodded. Good, I like having you here, she smiled. Thanks. So what was all this about? He just wanted to fight. I heard him say Messiah. I'd never talked about the church. Paul must have told him. Don't be mad, that was a big part of your life, both of your lies. Backstabbing Judas was what I wanted to call Paul right then, so I kept my mouth shut. How do you feel about that? She waited long enough to know I wasn't planning on answering, and then said, Do you miss it? I said, Not at all, which was mostly true. It was ten o'clock Friday night, and I had the living room all to myself. Jim's poker games ensured he wouldn't get home before two in the morning, and Laura had disappeared after dinner to the front porch. Paul usually joined me for movie night, but he was back in Ronnie's room chuckling it up. I didn't give a shit because I didn't have to let him pick the movie or listen to him bitch about my choice. It might have been Thor that I'd just finished, or maybe Captain America, or X-Men. That's all I'd watch when given a say. Those movies provided a nice break from real violence with enough action to hold my interest. They taught me a lot about life, different places and cultures, how people act. It was also nice to think maybe I wasn't the only person who had trouble not dying. Did make me jealous, however, that I didn't have any cool superpowers. Instead of starting the next movie, I went out on the porch. The swinging stopped. Laura sat still on the swing, stared into the backyard's darkness. I asked her if she was okay. The tears down both cheeks said she wasn't. She took a drink and set the glass between her feet. Just get sad sometimes, she said. It was getting awkward, so I turned to go. Sounded like she wanted a real answer. Laura asked, Why'd you finally decide to leave? It was the right thing to do. God, you sound just like him sometimes. We'd never once talked about him, but I figured she meant Vince. Laura picked up a brown photo album and held it out to me. I leaned against the railing and opened it. The blue-eyed, dirty, blonde boy, about six in the first photo, Laura, just as I remembered her. I turned the pages and the years flew by. A young boy was always smiling, especially in the ones with Laura squeezing him into a hug. Every event was captured. Birthdays, school plays, him reading books. The only photos of me were taken right after accidents, but I, I could see the resemblance. Only Vince looked happy, normal. The farther I got into the book, the faster Vince grew. A few more pages. And there was no denying our relation. His wide shoulders and tree-trunk legs, the same as mine. There were also a lot of smiles. Laura slurred a little when she said, Oh, yes, such a fun age. I cleared my throat. His letter said we were brothers. It took her a moment. I figured as much. Why would he write that? Although she could have been, she wasn't mean like Mother when she said, Why do you think he would? I can't see any reason why he'd lie. And he had the same book. A smile crept out. Oh, you found it. You put it there? Why don't you sit down, sweetie? I think I better stand. I had promised I'd pass the present on to you when you were old enough to read. But why hide it in the barn? Charles would have burned it if I gave it to him, so I had to leave it up to fate. 
What does it mean? I lowered my voice, tried not to let it break. What'd you tell me when I was little? Vince found my journal, Laura said. He knows everything. But he's not here, you tell me. Tears ran down her cheeks and she hugged me to her chest. I'm sorry, Joshua. I'm so very sorry. For what? This is my life, she said. This is all I have. I told her it was okay and patted her back. Don't cry. She couldn't stop. I swore on everything holy on your very life that I'd never tell a soul. But you said Vince knows. What can it hurt telling me? It's why he ran away. I'm not him. That ended the hug. Laura studied me and then said, Help me up and bring the bottle. We walked to the stables where it was just us, the horses and the whiskey. She said not to say a word or she'd most likely stop. When it comes to the official account of your birth, Charles got some of it right. You were born purple and quiet. Maureen went temporarily insane. So the gospel's true? I didn't get it at the time why she was so upset. I was the one who'd been carrying you for nine months. I was the one who pushed you out. She held up a finger to keep me quiet. Vincent was born just minutes after you, but over in the shed they'd set up for small surgeries. Kelly was tiny and your father wasn't. They had to tear her open. I could see the blood with my eyes open, my imagination conditioned for darkness. Laura must have seen the question coming. No, not Charles. You saw the photos. You can't expect me, not I do. Laura drank what was left in her glass. Charles convinced Maureen they couldn't get pregnant. He talked her into letting him have a stab at me. So he is my father? She ignored me. Things were different back then, and Maureen wanted a kid, or at least said she did to make him happy. I didn't want to hear more, but couldn't walk away. Charles and I worked on it for a while, neither of us with anyone else, part of our unwritten contract. By the time we hit ten times, I was beginning to think Charles wasn't even trying, that maybe he was praying we'd never conceived, that he'd just fuck me whenever. That's when my roommate, Kelly, brought this bearded traveler back from town, told the committee he was an old friend. Kelly had tired of most of the men in the commune and often had Guy's friends stopping by. Those nights would get loud and her bed was just a thin wall from mine. I'd walk the fields, look at the stars, wonder what the hell I was going to do with my life. Laura asked me to mix her a drink. I got back to the room a couple of minutes past eleven, pretty high and all ready to sleep, Glad they weren't making a peep. I lie down, close my eyes, start to nod off. Then a hand pinches my nose shut and covered my mouth, tied off my right hand with the strips of bedsheet he'd already tied to the pole. I should have known better than to come here. My hearing grew fuzzy like my brain might switch off. My whole life a lie. He said all I he needed was one shot, that you'd be a gift from the gods, but he was greedy like Charles. The pain and anger burning in her eyes and inheritance, I could not deny. You and Vince were each left a book, Kelly and I each a warning to deliver it. Nothing else was given, not even a name, Kelly and me deciding the police would only make things worse. I was really grateful for Father, but he sounded so much better than a rapist. How could you know for sure I'm not Charles's? 
Not tonight, Joshua, and not tomorrow. I love you, but you're my nephew. It's the only way this works. Paul had stuck yellow stickers to each of the rocks he'd handpicked for the wall. The wheelbarrow was still sitting unused in the garage, right where Ronnie said it better be in case he ever went looking for it. I played along. I was their mule. The boulders were my cross. Shit was the same as it ever was. The boulder at my feet was an 80-pound monster with flecks of red. It was after 11. The sun was blazing overhead, and I'd probably dripped a pound of sweat by the time I carried that behemoth to the driveway. Paul and Brad were in the far corner where I was headed. Brad was on his knees applying mortar. Paul a few feet in front of him, sitting on the low wall I'd spent all last week hauling. Brad sat down his trowel and grabbed the beer bottles from Paul. I nodded at Brad, and he nodded back when he walked by. I pretended I was watching where I was going, but my eyes were really on Paul, whose eyes were on Brad. I stepped in front of Paul and blocked his view, dropped the boulder. Instead of acknowledging my efforts, Paul said, Isn't it beautiful? I brushed my hands on my jeans, flinched a little when my scar rubbed the ridge. Where'd you send him off to? Paul nodded at the table in the back where Ronnie was waiting. He said they wanted some cold ones. What did you think Jim would say? Last time I checked, he wasn't here and won't be until tomorrow. I shook my head. What? Nothing. Paul got off the wall and handed me the glass of lemonade beside him. Here. I wouldn't grab it. Go take it to your friends. What's your problem? I looked at them and then the wall. Where the hell do you want me to start? The wall? That's what it is. You think it's easy? I pushed at the boulder with my foot. Couldn't budget. The fucking heavy. You're good at it. Don't mean I like it. Paul chewed on his bottom lip. And it's my fault? It was your idea. Real slow, he said, They don't like you. Ronnie wants you gone. He's an asshole. He's Jim's son. If you weren't doing the wall, you still think we'd be here? You'd leave too. You don't even try to get along with them. You mean I don't kiss his ass? Paul pouted. I don't. Yeah, you do. Both of theirs. Ronnie and your little boyfriend. Paul got in my face. Take that back. What? He's not my boyfriend. You're always trying to hang out with him. What's wrong with trying to make friends? They're not your friends. Well, they're sure as hell not yours. I took a deep breath and blew it out. Ronnie was watching us. I turned back to Paul. I don't like you hanging out with them. That's fine. You won't anymore? All I said was that's fine. You can think what you want. What's that mean? Paul held out the glass again. You want it or not? My throat was parched, but I wouldn't take it. I meant to push away his hand, but I caught the top of the glass and sent it crashing to the ground. Ronnie got it from the table. You breaking shit over there? Yeah, you want to see? Under his breath, Paul told me to stop it. Then he turned to Ronnie and said, It was an accident, my fault. Nah, Polly, I seen it. He knocked it out of your hand. I said, it's a stupid glass. Ronnie walked over, Brad right beside him. That was my mama's. I picked up the largest shot of glass and held it in my hand. I'll buy her a new one. Paul said, she's dead. You're a fucking dick, Ronnie said. You know that? I wasn't sorry, but I mumbled I was. You think you're so tough? Ronnie made a fist and cracked his knuckles. You go around thinking you're all hot shit, holier than thou, thinking you're the goddamn messiah. No, I don't. They all took a step back, Ronnie shutting his mouth long enough for me to say, you're the one who thinks he's so tough. 
tougher than you'll ever be. I nods the boulder with my shoe. I bet I can throw this farther than you can carry it. He looked at it and hesitated. Yeah, right. I wasn't so sure I could win the bet, but I could see he was just as nervous. Come on, let's put some money on it. I got nothing to prove to you. Twenty bucks. What's twenty bucks? You even got that much? Let me see it. Everything I owned was in my pocket in case someone like Dusty showed up and tried to take advantage of me. I pulled out a twenty. It's a stupid bet, he said. Tell you what, you and my brother, unless you're chicken. Ronnie said I was on. He wasn't no goddamn chicken. I moved to the side. Ladies first. Ronnie pushed past me and squatted down behind the boulder, his face super serious like the football picture in the living room. The picture where he had 40 less pounds wrapped around his waist. He grunted and got the rock off the ground on the first try. He made it three steps before it thumped to the floor. Brad said, well, will you look at that? Ronnie dusted his hands off. Would have been better if it hadn't slipped. I got into position, hands under the boulder. Of course, I was no longer tired. I wasn't thirsty. I was a better man than him, and I was going to prove it. Come on already, Ronnie said. In one clean move, I snatched the boulder to my chest and got my legs under me. Ronnie chanted, Drop it! Drop it! I glanced at him and imagined what that boulder would do to his head. As hard as I could, I heaved that rock, watched it tumble twice, thudding down where it had been no more than a foot. What you so excited about, Brad asked. Polly, you got that shit? No problem. Paul said, I don't want to get all dirty. Well, it's too late for that, Ronnie said. Come on, Polly, that's one step, maybe two, easy as pie. Paul walked over to the boulder and stared at it. He looked at Brad. Which way should I pick it up? I said, you see me do it enough times to know. Yeah, Brad said, just pick it up. Paul gave me a dirty look and bent down. His legs spread wide. The boulder wouldn't budge. Ronnie asked if he was fucking serious. Hold on, hold on, Paul brushed off his hands. I can do it, Ronnie said. So do it. Paul got down and wriggled his hands underneath the boulder. He had father's look of determination but mother's hands. And he gave up on the count of five. Come on, Polly, Brad said. Don't be such a pussy. Paul wrapped his arms around the boulder and let out a yell as it came off the ground. His spine curved like it was going to crack. He got it up to his waist before it crashed down. I told Ronnie to pay me. Hell no, Ronnie said. This little girl couldn't even move it. Don't matter. That wasn't the bet. Pay me. I already told you no. Just because my dad's fucking your aunt doesn't mean I got to take your shit. I stepped toward Ronnie. So do something about it. Try me, he said. No surprise he chose the words over action. Paul jumped between us, looked right at me, and shouted just like father. Stop it! I'd pushed Paul out of the way, stared down at Ronnie. Maybe I don't know much, but there's one thing I'm sure of. You're a spineless little bitch. Grab your shit and get the fuck out of here, Ronnie said. This is my house. I took a step forward and said that was fine. Paul lashed out at me, his palm connecting with my side of the face, the loudest crack. My hands were around his neck, lifting him up, then slamming him down. I crouched over him, kept half his throat closed with my left hand. And fuck you too, you little faggot. Guess who's going to call father and tell him you're over here blowing cowboys? 
His anger flashed to rage, both hands around my wrist, nails digging in and taking flesh. My right fist came down on the side of his head, and all movement ceased. I hadn't mean to hit him that hard, but I had to make him stop. Ronnie and Brad took a step back, neither one risking a word. Paul groaned, which relieved me a bit. You better get the fuck out of here, Ronnie said. I'll call the cops. I stepped forward, got in his face, and said, I bet you would. I punched Ronnie in the gut, and he dropped to the ground with a loud oomph. When I went to kick him, an arm wrapped around my throat and started squeezing. Brad's breath hot on my ear. Paul held his head and cried, Stop it! Stop it! We were long past stopping. I pulled Brad's arm straight, then down, and I shot my shoulder into his elbow, the snap almost as loud as the scream. Paul got to his feet and pulled Brad toward the house, yelling for help. Ronnie stayed on the ground and clutched his stomach. When I picked up the boulder, he said, What the fuck are you doing? Say I'm the Messiah. Ronnie scooted back on the grass. What? I took a step and stomped on his foot so he couldn't get away. The boulder was getting heavy. Through gritted teeth, I said, The Messiah. Say I'm him. Ronnie didn't need convincing. He said it like he meant it. I turned and threw the boulder into the wall, knocked down the entire section. I said, you best remember that. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.